Well, hello everyone, and welcome to our 14th episode on the Book of Judges. Dr. Martin and I are delighted that you have decided to join us today. Um, and today we will continue with Judges chapter 10, and we'll go through Judges chapter 10 today. So I'm going to begin with verses 1 through 5 with chapter 10. So if you want to take out your Bibles and read with me, uh, even though it is a podcast, it is a Bible study as well, so we need to read together. Uh, so Judges 10 verse 1. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Puah, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel twenty-three years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel twenty-two years. Now he had thirty sons who rode on thirty donkeys. They also had thirty towns, which are called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cayman. So the, illegit the illegitimate rule of Abimelech is followed by two minor judges, Tola and um, Jair. And these stories are very short in the cycle of the judges. Um, the story of Tola is very short and does not include all of the elements of the characteristic cycle of re rebellion and deliverance. So we do not hear that Tola arose to rescue Israel and we do not hear um, you know, that, uh, that the people cried out and so on, that God raised them up. He judges Israel for 23 years. The fact that he rescues Israel assumes the existence of an enemy and a period of oppression from which Israel is saved. The use of the verb arose in relation to Tola links his ministry to that of the previous judges. After Tola, Jair the Gileadite judges Israel for 22 years. Gilead is located in the territory of Manasseh across the Jordan River. The activities of Jair receive little space in the narrative, but the statement that he arose may be shorthand for the phrase arose to rescue. Uh, and so like Tola, he uh, is engaged in saving Israel from her enemies. So uh, let's move on um, to the rest of chapter 10. Uh, verse 6 to 16. Did you want to read or you want me to read that? Whatever you say. What do you think? Well, you can go ahead. Okay. Uh, 6 to 16. Chapter 6 to 16. Uh, uh, let me say one thing about Tola and uh, Jair. Uh, just to remind everybody that these minor judges are not minor because they didn't do anything important. They're only called minor because their short their stories are short, right. just a couple of verses. Just like uh, in the Old Testament, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. The minor prophets didn't have a minor message. It's just a shorter. So really, it should be called the longer prophets and the shorter prophets, not major and minor. <clears throat> you know, as if it's a judgment on their quality. So the minor judges, what are called the minor judges 
are inserted here, um, even though the stories are very short, that brings us up to a total of 12 judges to, mat to match the 12 tribes of Israel because the book of Judges is the structure itself is part of its message. There are 12 tribes, 12 judges. There are these cycles of rebellion and salvation, um, uh, and it affects the whole country. So let's move on then to verse 6. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals and Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the people of Ammon, and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried to me, and I delivered you from their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Mm -hmm. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day we pray. So they put away their foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Wow, this is a powerful story. So after these two minor judges, uh, we hear once again that repeated statement, the Israelites again did evil in the sight of the Lord. It appears in chapter 2, verse 11, and then it's, it's the beginning of every one of the judges' cycle. Chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 4, chapter 6. But here, in this case, the idolatry seems to have increased because it doesn't just say they served Baal and Ashtoreth, but they served the Baals and Ashtoreths and the gods of Syria the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. So when compared to earlier times in the Judges, this uh, big number, huh, it's like they, they just um, went in all directions. To, it raises the level 
of idolatry here. And and then they it says they, they forsook the Lord. They went away from the Lord. So it's not that they are serving God and the other things, which is what they've done in the past. In the past, they had served God and Baal. But here it says they had forsaken, they had left the Lord. They forsook the Lord and instead served these other gods. So the Lord turned them over to the Philistines for 18 years. And so uh, do you want to add anything to that? Pick up anything there, Dr. Hill? Well, um, so they did cry out to the Lord, as you said, and they're pleading for deliverance, right? Well, they forsake the Lord first. Um, and they've been oppressed, and then they cry out. And this um, this is the first time we've seen them crying out in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during the Abimelech story, the Abimelech story sort of interrupted the cycle of the judges. But here we see them crying out to the Lord. They've confessed their sin, right? And it seems that their repentance is genuine. But this time, however, the Lord does not raise up a deliverer. Um, because it seems like, uh, God's, God, God's patience has run out and God is not a fool. Uh, he has given them so many chances in the past. He has Mm -hmm. delivered them so many times in the past. Um, and he, he knows our hearts and he knows whether or not, uh, our repentance is genuine. So, um, the Lord reminds them. Uh, that he has saved them numerous times, beginning with the Egyptians. And he continues to save them. He saved them from the, the Amorites, which is in Numbers 21. He saved them from the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, uh, and Maon. Uh, the Greek version of Judges has Midian in the place of Maon, which would point to Judges 6. Uh, But despite the Lord's repeated intervention, the Israelites continue to forsake him and serve foreign gods. Uh, I think that's the height of ungratefulness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, if someone saves you and delivers you, you would be forever grateful. Mm -hmm. But the Israelites did not, were not. He furiously rebukes them and announces that he will save them no more. Which is... Which should shock us, mm-hmm. right? This disrupts our belief in God as our Savior. Here, God says to them, I'm not going to save you, even though they cried out to him, right? Um, the tone of the Lord's rebuff is quite sarcastic. He says to them, go out and cry, cry out to your gods, the ones that you have served, um, uh, and perhaps he's alluding ironically to Joshua's covenant renewal ceremony where the Israelites chose to serve the Lord, their God. Because Joshua told them uh, in the last chapter of Joshua 24, he said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Will you serve God or would you serve the, the gods of the mm. land? And yeah. they chose to serve God. Right. So in response to the Lord's reprimand, the Israelites for the first time in Judges confessed their sin. Uh, They even put away their foreign gods and they renew their worship of the Lord. But God is not a human being. 
He is a person and his relationship with us is real. The book of Judges shows us that God has chosen to enter into a a relationship with his people, a genuine, authentic relationship with his people. And in that relationship, God has chosen to make himself vulnerable to abuse, neglect, and personal injury. As soon as the Lord chose to enter into this covenant, he submitted himself to a position of personal risk. The God of Judges has made himself vulnerable in at least three ways. So first, God is vulnerable to repeated rejection. Uh, God is faithful, but Israel continuously rejects God. And they are repeatedly unfaithful to him. God has kept his obligations of the covenant, but Israel has broken the, the covenant repeatedly. Uh, God has rescued Israel several times, numerous times. Over and over, he's, re- he's rescued Israel. But their gratitude has been short-lived. Second, God is vulnerable to attempted manipulation. We know that God cannot be manipulated. But Israel attempts to ma- manipulate God. And like Israel, we attempt to manipulate God too. The Israelites' recurring cycle of rebellion demonstrates their attempts to use God and to abuse that relationship with God, right? So God is just there for their convenience. Whenever they need to be rescued, whenever they need to be saved, they call upon God. And then once they're saved and rescued, they put him back away, Mm. right? They neglect him. So over and over they had committed what was evil in the sight of God, and God had forgiven them each time. Uh, their repeated rebellion indicates, indicated that the Israelites were attempting to manipulate God to their own ends. And so they're presuming upon his mercy, and they're taking advantage of his compassion and his love. But we come to chapter 10. And, and it becomes clear that the Lord is refusing to allow that manipulation to succeed. So, thirdly, God is vulnerable to internal suffering. In chapter 10 of Judges, God is angry. He is so angry that he refuses to save his covenant people from oppression. He is so angry that he becomes sarcastic to them or with them. He says to them, go and cry out to your other gods. They, you know, if they're going, if you're going to serve them and worship them, then they're the ones who will rescue you. Don't come and uh, cry out to me. Um, he is angry with Israel. Nevertheless, his soul is grieved by the misery of Israel. God is angry, but he's also moved with intense compassion for his people. He is grieved by their suffering, but God also suffers with them. The Lord appears to be torn in two directions. Should he save Israel one one more time? Or should he leave them to their own devices? But God will not be manipulated and exploited. Uh, However, he cannot bear to remain idle when his people suffer. Right? So, unfortunately, God continues to be abused by humanity. Every time we disregard God's word, we grieve him. Every time we fail to praise God for his goodness, we break his heart. Every time we have gone backward instead of forward, 
we have trampled the Son of God underfoot, as Hebrews remind us or tell us, right? And so we trampled the Son of God underfoot. We counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and therefore we insult the Spirit of grace. So may God help us to be faithful just as God is faithful to us. Amen. So you want to go on? Do you want to add or do you want to? That, um, well, you know, just reading uh, and hearing you talk about this, um, you know, it, uh, it really troubles me that we as humans seem to um, presume so much on God's goodness. You know, uh, I, I know we're saved by grace, and I know God's grace is sufficient, but grace, the great uh, theologian Karl Barth said, grace demands gratitude. The word grace and gratitude come from the same Greek word, uh, charis. So charis calls for eucharisteo. Grace calls for gratitude. <clears throat> the grace of God is not given um, mechanically. We're in a relationship with God, uh, and and God loves us, and we're supposed to love Him back. We we worship Him, we serve Him. We are we should be faithful to Him, and not be straying after all these other things. As long as we believe, and as long as we are satisfied to say, "Well, I've got my ticket to heaven." I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to just live my life the way I want. That does not please God. And we will not be happy. We will not be truly happy until we are fully committed to the Lord. And um, it seems like so many Christians are just up and down, in and out, and, and, and have no faithful consistency. Um, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why God uses pastors and teachers to call us back to that faithfulness. Uh, prophets, evangelists, they call us back to that faithfulness that we need. And this is just a great example of all that God has done for us. And yet we, you know, <laughs> wake up on Sunday morning and say, oh man, I'm so tired. I, I don't know if I'm going to go to church today. Hey, get up out of the bed and go to God's house and give him praise. He has saved you. He's delivered you. He's healed you. And, and so don't, don't whine about having to spend one hour at the house of God. I fully agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I was... I'm, I'm kind of meddling in people's business right now. But, but seriously, uh, we, we can never praise God too much. God has done so much for us. As David said, he lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock. So I will sing a new song unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, this, this passage makes me want to be more faithful. Right. Amen. I like to think of, uh, I like to hear the stories of people who have served their Lord, the Lord 
all their lives. So they're probably in their 70s and their 80s. And I was talking to one woman in our church a few months ago, and she said, you know, uh, my daughter died tragically at, at when she was 15 years old. And then her husband died, you know, um, several years later. But she has experienced hardships and difficulties in her life. And she told me, she said, but God is still good to me. Uh-huh. And God is still faithful. And that's a wonderful testimony. Because usually when we experience those sorts of things, you know, like a child has died, we blame God and we become angry. But this woman did not become angry with God. Uh, she, she said, I just love the Lord and the Lord has been good to me and he has taken care of me all my life. So she's an example of being faithful to the Lord. Right. So this, this passage in chapter 10, I think, is uh, it teaches us something about God that we maybe don't think about very often. And that is that when God made a commitment all the way back when he chose to create humanity, from the very beginning, God uh, created humanity with the capability of rebellion. We were created free, free moral agents, as, uh, the, as people say, you know, with the ability to choose whether to serve God or not. That's the only way that God could ensure that he had a real, true relationship with people is if they have a choice. He did not make us robots. He made us with a choice to love him or not, to serve him or not, to worship him or not. Uh, because God's ultimate goal is to have a world full of people that serve him. God is a God who loves relationship. He loves people. He, he created the, the angels of heaven to have fellowship with him. Um, and, and he's created, but, but that was not enough. He created the world and filled it with people to have relationship to him. And that's his goal. So God's ultimate purpose, what holds the entire Bible together, is that God desires relationship. Um, so it begins with creation. And how does it end? In Revelation chapter 21, it's, it says that the new heaven and new earth, uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth. And the city of God, the new Jerusalem, comes down from God out of heaven. And God dwells in the midst of his people. That's his goal, for God to be in the midst of his people that's God's ultimate plan. That's God's ultimate goal. So here in Judges chapter 10, what we learn about God is that God himself, uh, he allows himself to be, um, to be hurt, to be refused, to be rejected. And, um, you know, it kind of foreshadows the coming of Jesus. Who, who, according to John 1, chapter 1, says he came unto his own, but his own 
received him not. So Jesus comes and uh, he teaches, he preaches, he works miracles, he raises the dead, he himself rises from the dead, and yet he's still rejected by many. Um, so God himself, um, he allows himself to be uh, abused, to be rejected. Uh, he, he allows people to miss to misuse his name. Now, people ultimately will be judged for all that, but God doesn't stop us from doing what we want to do. We will reap what we sow, but God doesn't stop us. He tries to help us. And in fact, in verse 16, you know, this is one of the reasons I first started studying Judges was verse 16, where it says, and his soul was grieved by the misery of Israel. He saw Israel suffering, and he suffered with them. Uh, so I want to tell uh, all of our listeners that if you are suffering, God suffers with you. God suffers with you. That's what it means in Hebrews chapter 4 when it says we have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Jesus is touched with the feelings of our suffering, our weakness. God suffers with us, and God will move to help us and to save us. Amen. So, any final words on that? I think you did great. All right, so we'll pick up right there. A new episode starts at chapter 10, verse 17, with the choosing of Jephthah as the next judge. Uh, just to give you a little foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about, you will notice that Jephthah is not chosen by God. The people choose Jephthah. So let's, let's wait to see what happens with that. You can go ahead and read that in your Bible. Uh, about uh, the choosing of Jephthah, how the people chose him, and what happens afterwards. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to our podcast. We don't want you to miss any. Thank you very much. God bless. <laughs>